So I um, uh, have been blessed over these years as a pastor to see a variety of people's skill sets. Some of you, you walk in the door and the first thing you look at is the decor because you're like, man, like how we present ourselves to people matters. Others of you walk in and you see, oh, someone needs some help. And so you're ready to jump in and serve. Those are spiritual gifts. It's the way you're wired. It's the way God has placed something in you to be able to care for his people and be about his, his glory. And uh, we were going through a spiritual gifts kind of training and assessment. And uh, my sister Megan says, some people have approached me uh, and they said, that, you know, I think my spiritual gift is teaching. And I'm like, duh. Uh, uh, for real, uh, <laughs> might be the easiest one. Pastor didn't even have to guess, but I know what that one is, you know. Uh, because over the years, I have been uh, encouraged not just by her friendship, but by her godly insight. Uh, she will reflect on something and share something, and at times it's just a, a quick sentence, and then other times it's an introduction to prayer uh, before we lead a worship song. At other times, it's a reflection on something God's been doing in her life. Either way, uh, Megan has been an encouragement to me, to this ministry, to this church family for years. And now we get to see uh, one of the ways God has worked within her uh, on display. We want to get a chance to see her preach God's word. And so, family, I want to invite you to join me in welcoming our sister uh, to the stage. And I want to pray for her. Lord, I do thank you. I thank you for what you've placed in your daughter. You've placed an ability to uh, care for people. You've placed a desire to worship you uh, as, a, as well as a desire to serve. Now, Lord, would you allow her to be freed up to be used by you as a tool to help us see you that much more clearly, but also, Lord, all of the uh, the ways in which you've wired her, Lord, the experiences that you've given her, use those to bring your name glory. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Not used to switching on a mic. See, normally I stand about right here. It's only a few feet difference, but it's a big difference. Um, Thank you, Pastor, for those encouraging words. And thank you. To, can we give it up for that worship set? Like, that was so amazing. I was very blessed by the worship team this morning. Um, and also really blessed to see uh, so many servants stepping up for, to lead in our body um, this morning as elders and deacons and Women's Leadership Council. Uh, thank you all of you who showed up today. Uh, I, I think we're not live stream, so thank you in the future to those who are tuning in. <laughs> um, like Pastor said, my name is Megan, and I have been serving here at Mac for a decade now, and it's been such, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, I met my husband, Brian, doing life here, and we're coming up on our five-year anniversary on Friday. It is Friday, right? Um, we have two little girls, Lucy, who's four, and Abby, who is two. And I just feel really blessed and honored to be sharing this word with you this morning. So um, I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right in. 
Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for allowing imperfect people to enter into your presence, to know you, and to praise you, God. We humbly ask that your truth would be evident through this message today, that you would convict us of the ways that we can become more like Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been studying for a few weeks in the book of Hebrews. We're going to depart from Hebrews, take a little break today. So that little ribbon that's in your Bible, just go ahead and keep that tucked into Hebrews. And turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. You've got some Bibles in front of you, in your pews, if you need them and it will be on the screen. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Follow along with me. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Those of you who know me well may know that I'm a bit of a foodie. Yeah, you can laugh. (laughs) I am always looking for new recipes, and I really love sharing what I've cooked or baked with other people. Um, And while I do enjoy cooking, I really, really like going out to eat. There's something really luxurious about sitting down to a nice plated table and having someone bring you your meal, Um, and then you don't have to do any dishes, which is great. Amen. (laughs) Now, before the pandemic and before we had kids, my husband Brian and I would often go out for special occasions. Now, you may not know this about me, but I absolutely love a good steak. Now, brief time out for the vegetarians. I'm going to leave you behind in this analogy a little bit, and I'm sorry about that. When I say steak, just imagine I'm saying tofu or giant mushroom, okay? Okay, time in. I love steak. I like it cooked with a pink middle, so tender it melts in your mouth, so flavorful you have to pause between each bite. So when it's time to choose an entree, I would, of course, choose the king of all the steaks, the filet mignon. Yeah. It has a side of mashed potatoes that I'm mildly aware of, but I didn't come for those. A good steak needs no embellishment. A good steak needs no added sauce. And if you are one of those people who puts ketchup on a steak, I will pray for you. A a good steak should never be wolfed down, but it must be eaten slowly. Each bite must be savored. It's the star of the meal, the reason you showed up. You can't fill up on the free bread. It's kind of good. But you save room for the steak because it's the best part of the meal. In the same way, though God offers a variety of good things for his children, there is one thing most important and necessary to the Christian life, and that's a relationship with Christ. 
Jesus refers to this as the good portion. We will be looking today at a story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their different responses to a visit from Jesus. We are going to talk about what happens when we focus too much on our efforts, and we're going to end our time today discussing what it looks like to choose the good portion, prioritizing a relationship with Christ. Let's look again at our text for today in Luke chapter 10, starting with verses 38 through 40. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So at this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has his 12 disciples, as well as a following and a reputation. His ministry has taken him to Bethany, a village about two miles outside of Jerusalem. There he is welcomed into the home of a woman named Martha, who we know as the sister of Lazarus, the man Jesus raised from the dead in John chapter 11. It is significant that Luke mentions Martha as the one receiving Jesus in her home. Hospitality was highly regarded in Jewish culture, and one of the few ways a woman received honor was by having a well-run household. As the matriarch of her home, Martha would have taken the task of hosting Jesus very seriously because her reputation would have depended on it. In our society today, we have customary and socially acceptable ways of greeting one another. Depending on your familiarity with someone, you may receive a hello, or a how are you, or a what up. This might be coupled with a handshake, a hug, or a fist bump. Now imagine if you tried to greet someone in this way and they just stood there without saying anything. This is culturally abnormal. It would be considered rude. They might start getting a reputation for throwing some shade. Martha was also operating within the social constructs of her society. Based on the cultural norms of Jesus' day, the right and acceptable way to receive a guest was by offering up your home to make your guest completely comfortable. To offer anything less would be considered as rude as someone ignoring your greeting. She would have been judged for how well she received Jesus and would never even consider showing him less than the utmost hospitality. This is no light undertaking. Some of you listening might have the spiritual gift of hospitality, and if you do, God bless you. For me, just thinking about hosting a guest makes my hands get a little clammy. Um, there's something about inviting someone into your home that makes you look around you with a whole new perspective, and you start to realize that you've been living in absolute filth. <laughs> You look up at your light fixtures and there's about five feet of cobwebs dangling. There's something that looks like spaghetti sauce on the ceiling, but you're not sure. And at my house, we've got the grubby toddler handprints all over the front window. You pop off your couch cushion and it's like a time capsule of snacks. <laughs> you're pulling out fossilized Fritos and you can't remember the last time you had Fritos in your house. There's a deep clean that only happens when a guest comes. Everything is swept and mopped, every surface is scrubbed until it sparkles, and everything you don't know what to do with gets shoved in your bedroom closet. <laughs> but cleaning isn't the end of it. Your guest has to eat something, right? 
So you go to the store and you stock up on the good snacks. You plan a meal or two, and not the hamburger helper or the frozen pizza. Oh, no. You have to plan real home-cooked meals with more than five ingredients. <laughs> you use the nice plates. You put out the nice towels. You change the sheets on the guest bed and present the best version of your home so that your guest feels valued. So when I read this passage in Luke, I picture Martha pulling out all the stops. She's inviting Jesus to make himself comfortable in her home that she spent all day cleaning. I picture her in the kitchen, whirling around like she's the next iron chef, preparing a delicious five-course meal. I picture her coming out of the kitchen, sweaty, disheveled, sauce on her tunic, flour on her neck. <laughs> she's juggling a bread basket and a tray of artisanal cheeses. And then I hear the record scratch when she sees what her sister Mary is doing. What? <laughs> As a woman in the home, Mary would have been expected to help with the important preparations. She would have been expected to be serving with Martha. But she's not helping Martha at all. She has forsaken her household duties and instead seated herself in front of Jesus. This would have been seen as completely inappropriate. By placing herself at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching, she is assuming the position of a disciple. This is most certainly not a role that was open to women at the time. Martha would have known this and appeals to Jesus in verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, within Jewish culture, it was normal and acceptable for a man to reprimand a woman who was failing to stay within her role. Martha is asking Jesus to remind Mary of where her proper place is. While to us, it might seem like Martha's being a little bit of a tattletale, her complaint based on the norms of the day would have been completely legitimate. So Martha verbalizes what I think most of us would be thinking at this point, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm serving by myself? Don't you care that I'm working hard and she's not? Don't you see all that I'm doing for you? How does Jesus respond? Continue on with me in verses 41 and 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Whatever Martha expected Jesus to say, I promise you it wasn't that. <laughs> the world as Martha knew it said that a woman's value was to be determined by a few certain things, one of those being service. Mary has the audacity to assume the position of a disciple, a position only available to men, and Martha fully expects Jesus to reprimand Mary. But he doesn't do this, much to her surprise. And then Jesus turns everything on its head when he praises Mary and reprimands Martha. In the context of this story, this would have been utterly perplexing. Martha's doing everything right. She's opening her home. She's working hard to serve. She's pulling out all the stops for Jesus. She's doing everything she has the power to do within her position. Isn't working hard for Jesus good? Isn't making every effort for the kingdom good? Isn't service important? 
Short answer to those questions is yes, service is good and it is important. Jesus is not suggesting otherwise. What he is saying is that there is something more important that Mary has chosen and Martha has not. The one necessary thing, the good portion. This good portion is hers for the taking and will not be taken away from her. So what is it? What is the good portion? It is Christ himself. It is a relationship with Jesus, an invitation to dwell in his presence to be transformed. While works are important, we have one necessary thing as believers, and that's choosing the good portion, prioritizing a relationship with Christ. But Jesus knew something about human nature, and that's how easily we become distracted. And in our distraction, we are easily deceived. Jesus understood that the enemy prowls like a lion seeking to devour, that he uses subtle weapons, that he takes something meant for good and distorts it ever so slightly. You see, what Jesus is rebuking isn't the quality of service that Martha can provide, but simply the posture of the servant. Working hard to serve in the kingdom is good, but when it interferes with time in the presence of Jesus, it's problematic. When we are running around, busying ourselves, we aren't positioned to be transformed in the presence of Christ as we would be if we sat still at his feet. Our narrator, Luke, doesn't tell us exactly what thoughts and emotions Martha was experiencing. But the text gives us some clues as to the state of her heart. Martha's service to Jesus was intended for good, yet verse 40 calls that service a distraction. In the very next verse, we discover through the words of Jesus that Martha is anxious and troubled. While these two dispositions are not in themselves sinful, it seems obvious from the text that something about Martha's posture is not what it should be. I don't know about you, but I don't generally feel anxious or troubled when I'm focused on Christ. It's usually when I'm focused on other things that those feelings start to creep in. Maybe I'm looking at a to-do list. Maybe I'm replaying an interaction with a friend or coworker. Maybe I'm looking at how I've been showing up at home or at work and just feeling like I'm missing the mark. Whatever it is, feeling anxious and troubled is usually an indicator that I'm not looking to God, but to my own capabilities. Perhaps Martha, in seeking to serve Jesus, gazed a little too intently at her own efforts. Perhaps she concerned herself more with her value and reputation than bringing to Christ what he deserves. Perhaps... She looked to what she could provide for Jesus instead of recognizing the incredible gift that was available to her within his presence. Mary, in contrast, is praised for choosing the good portion. The NIV literally says that she has chosen what is better. Where Martha is distracted, Mary listens to the Lord's teaching. She is not anxious or troubled because she is in the presence of God. Mary would have had the same expectations and societal pressures as Martha, yet she chose to set them aside and sit at the feet of Jesus. 
she may have thought, ah, some people are going to say some things, but I know this is where I need to be. She chose to lay down her work, her worries, and her expectations to approach Christ with empty hands, knowing that she had everything to gain. This is incredibly hard for most of us. We live in a culture and society that values doing. For instance, when you meet someone for the first time, what's one of the very first questions they ask you? What do you do? Yeah. Our identity forms itself around our vocation. There's a temptation within the church to identify ourselves by what we do within the body. I head up a small group. I lead worship. I teach Sunday school. I'm an elder, a deacon, a women's leadership council member. If we aren't careful, these works can get intertwined with how we see ourselves, and we can begin to get our value based on what we do. We can begin to measure our kingdom worth by our actions. When was the last time you asked someone what they did and they responded, I have a relationship with Jesus? Or, I'm lovingly and intentionally created in the image of God. Or even, you know, Christ died for me and now I'm alive and I'm just happy to be here. You see, these responses encapsulate who we are in Christ, yet that seems so foreign for us to define ourselves by those things. But Jesus is telling us that this is the good portion that cannot be taken away, that this relationship with him is so much more valuable than our works. Imagine if you received your filet mignon and you became fixated on those mashed potatoes. Now, no one is suggesting they aren't good potatoes, but it's not the best thing on your plate. If you start going to town on those potatoes, your dinner companion might look at you funny and say, you know, there's a steak there, right? This is the warning Jesus has in his rebuke of Martha. The enemy seeks to destroy you by convincing you that your efforts define you, that the harder you hustle, the holier you are, that your seat at the table can be earned. He seeks to take good things like service and use them to distract you from Christ. If we don't, like Mary, choose the good portion and prioritize a relationship with Jesus, we are vulnerable to the lies from an enemy who seeks to undermine our value in Christ. As I reflected on these verses in preparation for this message, I became quickly surprised at how easily a well-intentioned act of service can become a distraction. So I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, at Mac, when a family is going through some changes and could use some extra help, a meal train is sent out. Now, if any of you in this room or tuning in do not, are not familiar with meal train, it's a website where you can plug in a family's information and people can go on to sign up to bring them a meal. Um, I'm a task-oriented person and I like food, as I mentioned, so I usually sign up. I look at the available dates and then I select one, I scan through their dietary preferences and, uh, and restrictions and then I choose a meal that I think that family would enjoy. All good so far, right? Yeah. But then, a little sin starts to creep in. As I start to cook this meal, I start thinking, huh, I wonder if this family will enjoy it. Maybe they'll be impressed. Maybe they'll ask me for the recipe. Maybe 
they'll text me to tell me it's the best meal train meal they've ever received. <laughs> the dream, right? Or maybe they'll hate it. Maybe it'll be inedible. Maybe they'll say, eh, Megan talks about food all the time. I really expected more from her. What if something goes wrong? What if the meal isn't done in time? What if I get a food burn warning on my Instant Pot? Does this make me incapable? Does this make me inadequate? Should I even be doing this? Now I'm in a position to have my entire identity hinge on the quality of this meal. Because I am so focused on this act of service, I've lost sight of why I wanted to serve in the first place. I've taken something meant to bless another, something meant to give God glory, and made it all about me. Those of you who've received a meal from me are like, what? <laughs> I thought that chicken tasted a little like inner turmoil. <laughs> but can you relate? Maybe meal train isn't your thing. But have you ever let the quality of your service define your worth? Maybe you only feel valuable when you are busy serving and don't know who you are without your ministry. Have you ever felt like God's ability to move or advance the kingdom is dependent on your efforts? Maybe you feel like if you don't have all the Bible answers, your loved one won't come to Christ. You ever feel like if you're not overcommitted or burned out that you aren't doing enough? Maybe you feel like if you're not signing up for everything that needs to be done that you'll be considered lazy or lacking faithfulness. Have you ever felt inferior in comparison to a brother or sister because of their accomplishments or talents? Maybe you feel like if someone is better than you at something or has a higher capacity that they are spiritually superior. When we look too closely at our efforts, it plants seeds of doubt that attack our value and worth. I confess that even as I preach this sermon, I have to fight the temptation to care more about whether or not you like me than whether or not you hear the gospel. That's real. This is the danger of focusing too much on our service. It distracts us from choosing the good portion. This good portion is a relationship initiated by God, made possible through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Through this relationship, we are saved from spiritual death, made co-heirs with Christ. Through this relationship, we are made new, able to reflect God's goodness to the world. This relationship is the oxygen we breathe as believers, the most important and valuable aspect of our lives. When we start to prioritize accomplishments over time with the Lord, we start to build our identity on things that are not Christ. From there, it is a swift and slippery descent into sin. And the sad reality is that we can spend the entirety of our lives doing a multitude of works in the name of Jesus, but still stand before him at the end of days and hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. So what do we do? We take the posture of Mary. When we find ourselves becoming anxious or troubled, 
when we are tempted to define ourselves by our own efforts, we humbly come before the Lord and allow ourselves to be transformed within his presence. We daily die to our sinful selves and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We boldly, confidently, unashamedly choose the good portion, prioritizing our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we continue to choose it again and again and again. Now, does this mean that we forget works altogether? No. No. There is work in the kingdom that needs to be done. What we need to remember as we serve, however, is that it is God, not you or me, who chooses and commissions the work to be done. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created for good works. Hallelujah. But we are the workmanship of God, created by him with a specific purpose, purpose that he prepared for us in advance. A table cannot say to its maker, I'd like to be a bench now. A table cannot boast about its ability to be a table because it is the carpenter who made it that way. It is God who has lovingly and intentionally created us, and the creation is meant to reflect his character and skill. We have value because God finds us valuable. We have purpose because God created us with a specific purpose. And we can rejoice because Christ allows us to enter into his presence, not as an enemy, but as his beloved. We cannot and should not attempt the work of God's kingdom without first receiving the truth and transformation that is only available in an ongoing relationship with him. This is the good portion as Mary understood it. Access to a God who loves us deeply and invites us into the work that he is already doing. We do good works not because we can earn salvation, not for praise or recognition, not out of a compulsion to accomplish great things. No, we do good works simply because God made us that way. And we long to be obedient to do what needs to be done in his kingdom. We need to choose the good portion, prioritizing our relationship with Christ. Sounds good, but how do we do that? <laughs> Mary had the option of physically sitting at the feet of Jesus. He, he was there in her house. But <laughs> what does that look like for us today? Well, I believe that there are three tangible ways that we can go about choosing the good portion at the feet of Jesus. And the preachers in the room are about to get real excited because they all start with the letter S. <laughs> we need to set our eyes on Christ Seek the Lord and savor the goodness of God. Number one, to choose the good portion, we must set our eyes on Christ. Psalm 16, 8 says, we ha- I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. 
Martha became distracted, yet Mary sat in front of Jesus with her attention focused on him. Scripture uses the word set to signify the physical act of putting Christ in front of your face and focusing on him. It is an intentional nearness and an unshakable fixation on God. When I have something important I need to remember, I set a reminder on my phone. There's a lot of things that happen throughout the day. But when that notification goes off, it cuts through what I'm doing and reminds me of what I need to focus on. In the same way, we need tangible ways to cut through the distractions that take our attention away from God. Y'all, we need to spend time in his word every day. God's truth needs to be written deeply on our hearts so that we can withstand the temptation to build our identity around our works. A short devotional or a verse of the day is not enough to sustain us long term. We need to intentionally dive deeply into the truth of Scripture and allow God to reveal himself to us within its pages. This is the way to physically set your eyes on Christ and it's essential for any hope of a deep relationship with him. Secondly, to choose the good portion, we need to seek the Lord. In Matthew 6:33, Jesus asks us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He presents this as the antidote to worry and the assurity that in Christ we have everything we need. We seek the Lord not only when we spend time in his word, but also when we regularly meet him in prayer. A rich prayer life consists not only of bringing your praises and requests to God, but also spending time listening for his voice. The voice of the world is loud, and it tells you to be busy and productive. The voice of God is small but steady and reminds us of our true identity in him. It is important as believers to distinguish the difference between these two voices. The more we can recognize the words of God, the less we fall prey to believing the lies of the enemy. As Mary set down her ladle and took a seat at Christ's feet to listen to him, so we must also pause to be still and silent in the presence of God to hear his voice. The last way we choose the good portion of a relationship with Christ is through savoring. You wouldn't wolf down a good filet mignon. You'd take slow bites. You'd savor each morsel. I imagine Mary at the feet of Jesus hanging on every word that came out of his mouth. In this way, we need to pause in appreciation of the person of Christ, we must, as Psalm 34 tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. We must find a way to take a break from hustling and savor the goodness of God. A life lived focused on efforts is busy and chaotic and easily distracts us from seeing the value of the good portion. Yet we need to regularly take the posture of Mary, slowing down and enjoying the nearness of Christ. This isn't something that only happens on a mountaintop or a tropical beach at sunset. This is something that is available to us in our everyday lives. 
We need to tap into our awareness of God's presence and simply allow ourselves to dwell in the comfort and pleasure there. In her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Tish Harrison Warren has this to say. It takes strength to enjoy the world, and we must exercise a kind of muscle to revel and delight. If we neglect exercising that muscle, if we never savor a lazy afternoon, if we must always be cleaning out the fridge or volunteering at church or clocking more hours, we'll forget how to notice beauty and we'll miss the unmistakable reality of goodness that pleasure trains us to see. When we savor the good portion of Christ, when we lean into that relationship with him, when we revel and delight in his presence, we resist the temptation to define ourselves by what we can do and allow ourselves to simply be who God intended us to be. When we are filled up in the presence of Jesus, our service becomes a response of gratitude and glad obedience. Choosing the good portion, prioritizing our relationship with Christ, allows his kingdom to dwell richly and abundantly within us so that our works become an outpouring of his love and grace. One final thought I want to leave you with before we end our time today. I chose this passage in Luke today for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that I have often heard a really bad interpretation of it. <laughs> Growing up, I frequently heard the question posed, are you a Martha or a Mary? The implication is that we are either task-oriented like Martha or people-oriented like Mary. I hope to set the record straight. Jesus is not contrasting Mary and Martha in personality, but is illustrating that we need to choose a relationship with him and value it above all else. My second reason for choosing this passage in Luke is a little more personal. While the focus of these verses is not on feminism, there is something beautiful and profound about Luke using a story of two women to illustrate a truth that is widely applicable to all believers. What Jesus is indicating here in these verses is that his kingdom is unexpected. He came and took everything that, that the that the society of the time believed and turned it upside down. Women were not allowed to be taught in the society of the time, yet Jesus allows Mary to sit in front of him as a disciple. Through these five short verses, Jesus is showing us that the kingdom he came to establish does not exclude. There is a place and purpose for all, no matter your gender, your race, your socioeconomic status, your nationality, your background, your limitations. Everyone has access to the Father through Christ. It is available to anyone who simply stops and sits at the feet of Jesus. I encourage you today to do just that. Set your eyes on Christ. Seek a relationship with him. Savor his goodness. Don't look to be justified by the works of your hands, but choose today and every day the transforming presence of Christ. 
Choose the good portion, and it will not be taken away from you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the good portion. We thank you for the transforming power of your presence. Lord, we know that you look not to our deeds, but to our hearts. Please guide us into earnestness as we seek you. Humble us where we need to be humbled. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Remove our distractions. Help us to focus solely on you. We know that a relationship with you isn't something that just happens, but that we need to regularly choose you in each tiny moment of our day. Give us the strength we need, Lord, to choose the good portion, our relationship with Christ. It's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.